Hello fellow beings, welcome to Tapasya Loading, a safe space to attempt honest, raw and authentic conversation in homage to the ancient act of stoking a sacred fire. This episode's brought to you by everynowheremusic.com. Yep, you got that right, that's yours truly. So if this is an endeavor you'd like to support, please come and sign up for my newsletter at everynowheremusic.com. Every nowhere or every now here, depending on whichever way you prefer to look at it. To be a practicing lawyer with integrity is deserving of a pretty high legal respect on its own in this day and age. To pick music as an area of specialization for the same, even more so. But when you decide to combine both, in one of the world's largest and probably most complex of jungles, that is the Indian music industry, you might think a degree of respect you owe to that person attempting the same is heading towards astronomical numbers. And chances are you'd be right. Founder of Artistic License, Manoj Nayeluri, is that person. I met Manoj now in the midst of a contractual mess, which thankfully sorted itself out for the course of time. Nevertheless, it's been quite inspiring to observe her sowing the seeds she has, and the conversation we have here is a pretty apt display of why. Thanks for doing this. No, thank you. And do you know how crazy this is that we're actually finally... Because I just realized this is the first time we're actually talking, talking. (laughs) Yeah, I always try and trace back how I met the guests I try and get on the show. Mm -hmm. In our case, we've never actually met 3D, No, but I remember... Our acquaintance was over our common friend Adam, Greg. Greg, I oh, hope I said that right. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, this was the time I was getting royally screwed over by a certain YouTube company. And uh, in the midst of a very messy contract, um, yeah. and me having no clue whatsoever how the music laws work in India, I was looking for someone to help me out. And Adam... I recommended that I get in touch with you. Oh, that was very kind. Of, I, 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 was I helpful? <laughs> um, you were, I, you were very open <laughs> to being helpful, <laughs> which I really appreciated. Except, um, let me just put it this way: YouTube had new regulations shortly thereafter, uh, wherein, uh, unless you had a certain number of subscribers, you weren't really um, uh, qualified to monetize your channel anyway. That's so the right. entire contract fell through on its own. As, oh, yeah, as a, yeah. Uh, blessing in disguise, so I never had to write, like, really <laughs> do anything consciously to get out of it. But I still remember how open and eager you were to help, and I appreciate it. I'm glad, I'm glad. I have a different um, memory, which is, um, I remember that there was this time when you were trying to have, um, I think you were trying to organize a tour in India, and um, um, somebody, I don't remember who it was again, um, but somebody, you know, tagged me on a Facebook post. And then I remember that we exchanged a couple of messages. Um, hmm. Yeah, in the hope of, uh, uh, were you supposed to, or did you come down sometime, maybe 2018? 2018, I was trying to. So 2018 was the year mm-hmm. I was supposed to do... A uh, six-city tour of India. Yeah. Except a certain label, <laughs> who I, I preferred not to name. 
quite backed out two weeks before the entire oh. tour and the launch of the of the EP at the time, uh, which is something we'd been working on for six months. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, so I was basically stranded with you know tickets and everything set, exactly. and I was gonna yeah. go travel. Yeah. yeah. Because that's what I remember. And I remember that was also the time when in India, all the venues were um, sort of having that lockdown. Now the word lockdown just gets used <laughs> in a completely different context. But I think at that point, it was um, it was uh, all these establishments that were just being shut down because um, I think some of them were too close to highways. And then it's the usual excise folks who come on board every season and sort of ask venues to shut down so that there is a certain amount of money that they can extract. And uh, that was the memory that I actually have. But I guess all in all, I think, um, I mean, it's nice to be talking to you. (laughs) Thank you. Likewise. Uh, I'm quite fascinated by your journey and your, uh, well, the, the role you play in the independent music industry in India. It's very palpable, the role you play. I know of quite a few artists who swear by you. Oh, wow. And, Thank uh, you. <laughs> and um, it's, I'm, I'm in awe of someone who's brave enough to uh, uh, maneuver the jungle of the music industry anyway, mm-hmm. especially more so in the subcontinent, uh, the motherland. Mm, it is a bit daunting, yes. I will agree. I, I, I can imagine. So I have to ask you, This this seems like the kind of, role you'd only take on if it was some sort of deep calling Mm -hmm. is that something i'm projecting or is there something to it uh no so i don't think uh i mean it's 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 very interesting um that you sort of uh tuned into that because i i have heard that from i think a few others as well people have just sort of asked me if it is uh, more of a calling than anything else and um I'm actually just beginning to unpack what that means to me. And I think there's several layers to it. But yes, I think to some extent, I think it is, um, there's a deep appreciation that it all sort of stems from. So I do this because I come from a place of um, adoration and respect when it comes to uh, not just music, but I think something about the idea of being able to express oneself creatively. Beautiful. Um, Yeah, there's something very, very valuable very uh it's almost like it, it, it is something that it deserves to be treasured so i just i think it, it all it all starts from there there is a very deep-rooted fascination i have no idea where it's come from i think that's what i'm trying to unpack um and the lockdown is an interesting time to be able to unpack a lot of different things including i know those. right yeah yeah may i ask you what your earliest memory of music is i know that's a little random uh no actually i think it's uh i i I actually really appreciate this because it makes me think back as well um hmm. so it's a it's a mix of things but um i've grown up with a lot of music um around me i don't necessarily come from a family of um individuals who uh, at least in the recent generations, have identified as musicians. But I think at some level, we've all, you know, we've all pursued um, 
our love for music in some manner or the other. So I actually think that the earliest memories that I have um, go back, honestly, to uh, my dad. Uh, my dad was the one, I think, who I believe this started even when um, I was just born. Apparently, he used to sing to me um, every evening, uh, you know, almost immediately after I was born. Uh, this is something that my grandmother used to tell me. But uh, yeah, that's the reason, I think, why uh, why you know, music was just normalized. And I think it was, uh, he's a big fan of, uh, you know, all these Hemant Kumar songs. And, you know, at the same time, a lot of like uh, Mehdi Hassan uh, songs and ghazals. And I don't know, I just, I mean, it's almost second nature. Like I can hear those words and I don't, sometimes I don't understand which part of my memory they've been tucked into, but they, they live there. And so, yeah, so... I mean, it's a it's an amalgamation of them, I guess. Um, but yeah, yeah, it, it it goes back to that. It always goes back to that. There's no denying that. So yeah, I can relate to that. I think my first memory, well, one of my first memories, would be my mother singing to me, mm-hmm. and I remember exactly which song, in fact. Me. Um, yeah, because uh, she still sings it for me every now and then if I'm really nice to her. <laughs> of course, of course, uh, yeah. 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 Um, now, now there are conditions attached. <laughs> um, actually, to be fair, my mom the, demands no conditions whatsoever. But uh, I, I take it upon myself to be nice to her in order to make a demand like that. I feel it fair. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, to her credit, no, no conditions whatsoever. I, I couldn't claim uh, that. Mm-hmm. Um, where's the? What's the best way to go through your journey? Where would you, uh, I'll leave it up to you. Where would you like to start? How did he end up becoming a music lawyer, for lack of a better term? <laughs> um, or artistic lawyer, sorry. I mean, no, I mean, I think I, I love the words that you're using because I think that's that's uh, that's definitely something that I think I used to struggle with nomenclature. Um, yeah. I, I find it quite stifling sometimes. So mm-hmm. uh, I think that I've, uh, and, and I don't always um, know how to take these, uh, take these words seriously. I feel like words are powerful, but then again, you know, they are things that we that we have made up in a sense, you know. So um, those could be my words, by the way. That really resonates with me. Sorry. I, I oh wow. It. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I, I'm, you know, at, at some level, again, I'm not entirely, entirely surprised um, because I think this again. I think all of this sort of goes back to. Um, a place of respect, and I think that's kind of what happened, even even with me. I mean, I did grow up with um, with a very acute um, sense of appreciation and respect for the arts, um, for music, of course. But at the same time, I also, you know, I mean, I'm a. I guess I could, for the, again, for the lack of a better term, I guess I'm a first generation entrepreneur. Um, you know, I my, my father is a retired bank officer. My mom's a retired journalist. Um, so, you know, and, and you know, my grandfather's on either side. One was a police officer and, you know, the other was into income tax. So we didn't come from, uh, you know, I didn't necessarily come from a background that was very, um, not really encouraging or discouraging. It was just very neutral when it came to, you know, anything creative as such. It's like, okay. But, uh, you know, I don't know what it is. I mean, it was never um, a means of a livelihood. That was not something that, uh, was really brought up. Uh, oh, that was, that's that's really diverse. 
uh, like professionally. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I, it's interesting for it's interesting to hear that actually for me because I grew up in it, so it's very normal to me. But um, but yeah, but I do understand what you mean, and I moved around a lot because of my dad's uh, job. So uh, it was a transferable job, so I did move around quite a bit, and that did invariably. Um, I was very nerdy in school. Um, I enjoyed learning. I still do. Um, but um, at the same time, there was always this pressure of, you know, doing well academically because it made sure that I would honestly, it just made sure that I would get, um, you know, a smoother sort of entry into the next place that we had to move to and the next set of schools. So Mm. law wasn't something that I ever intended, actually. I actually wanted to become a sociologist. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah, that's that was kind of what I had wanted to do. Um, And because I like I don't know, I mean, again, maybe I'm really oversimplifying it, but I really do like people. (laughs) I think that the systems that we create and the structures that we that we create, I find them quite fascinating. Interesting. And uh, not oversimplifying at all, actually, quite the contrary. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I think it. I mean, you know, I, I like I said, like law ne- wasn't necessarily a part of the e- equation, but I sort of stumbled into it. And I'm beginning to realize that I stumble into a lot of things, including, um, uh, you know, sort of the, the practice and the consultancy that I that I call artistic license, um, because I graduated from law school. Uh, uh, I, I went to a law school in Hyderabad and um, I moved to back. Bangalore because I got a job in a very big and a very fancy and very well-paying corporate law firm and Mm -hmm. I lasted less than a year (laughs) Mm -hmm. because I it was yeah I don't I don't think either of us was a good fit for each other um and uh and you know I mean I I think a lot of clarity honestly came to me um at that point because I knew I wanted to study further and I was um, beginning to really develop an interest for um, intellectual property rights and this branch of law that's sort of very broadly referred to as entertainment law. And um, I chose to apply for a master's. Um, I was accepted, which was wonderful. And, and I ended up going to um, Los Angeles to pursue that. And in many ways, I think that that education that I received both academically and contextually, I think that that has continued to inform me. I mean, even to this minute, like, I don't think that I have a moment where I'm not one of those people who can ever say, oh, my education really didn't do anything to me. I think I really did receive an education in the truest sense of the term when I was there. So I think the seeds, awesome. for, yeah, the seeds for this practice were really sown when I was there. So I, I'd say that everything started there. But I knew I was going to come back to India. I, I always knew that I was coming back to India. So, yeah. Can I ask, when was this? When did you move to Los Angeles? Uh, so I moved to um, to study at uh, UCLA in 2011, and um, I wasn't there for particularly too long. I was literally there, I think, for till about 2012. It was uh, the it was another recession, <laughs> so uh-huh. my timing was great. Um, uh, but yeah, but my timing was pretty great because yeah, that's that's when I went there. And this was with the explicit wish to follow your knowledge and skills in 
the branch of law for arts or mm-hmm. law in general? Kind of. No, no, ah. definitely not. I I had applied very specifically um, to. I mean, I, I was very keen on um, pursuing a master's in law, which is an LLM. Uh, in uh, entertainment law and intellectual property rights. I was very, very keen on that. I was hoping and hoping that um, that it would be UCLA because that's where I wanted to go. I knew so much about the program. I knew that was, I don't know, it just felt like the right fit. Um, right. So I went to LA to, to pursue that specifically. But um, I ended up finding a lot of uh, interesting subjects that were quite unexpected, meaning that those weren't the ones that I thought would really stand out to me. Uh, but in, in many ways, I think that that is kind of, um, that's been responsible for helping me make the shift from maybe being um, an entertainment lawyer only and really somebody, I mean, I ended, I identify more with the term being an artist rights lawyer, I think, than even being an entertainment lawyer. So, yeah. I appreciate that. I've, I think at this point, especially the way the industry is headed, there's, the demarcation between entertainment and art seems to be ever more distinct. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, agree. Um, a couple of questions. First would be, what, what, how did your immediate environment react to your decision to moving to LA, investing that amount of time, energy and money, of course, into something mm-hmm. that uncommon? Mm-hmm. So... Um, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with the with the money because I do think that that's an important question um, that needs to be addressed. It was an expensive education, and um, it, it most definitely was. I I did apply for aid. I did receive some aid, but um, honestly, a big part of the reason why I was able to pursue that education in addition to whatever scholarships I received was uh, because of my parents. There's no two ways about it. They were incredibly supportive. This was something that we had um, we had discussed for years, actually, ahead. I think somewhere in the middle of uh, my first time at law school, uh, I was uh, having a discussion with them about how at some point I may want to do uh, and we want to go ahead and do a master's. And the thing is, in, I mean, I feel like this is the upbringing again, um, where at least in, I mean, I, I've grown up in a household also where education, I've been taught to respect it, you know. It was always about, you know, making sure that um, that it's okay. If, if if I want to learn something, then that's that's fine. You know, that's okay. As long as, of course, I have, I mean, at the end of the day, my dad's a banker. So <laughs> I did have to have like a structure in place and everything. It's not, it wasn't very woo-woo also over here. But um, but it started with that. So honestly, I'm incredibly grateful to the support that they provided me for that. Because that, in addition to whatever aid I received, was the reason why it was possible for me to go uh, pursue this education. But of course, moving there, I did live um, as frugally as I could, um, which honestly wasn't such a bad experience. I don't actually have... Um, very many uh, stories of horror, but um, but of course it was very different from you know a life that I was leading, leading and leaving, I suppose, uh, back in India. Going back to what you mentioned earlier about um, this feeling like a calling, I really did feel called to do this as well. You know, I had mm. a feeling that 
things would, the goal wasn't, the superficial goal was, oh, okay, let me see if I'm going to get um, a job at a really fancy and, you know, well-paying music label or music company or, you know, production house. But underneath that incredible top layer, really, you know, was just this, uh, like this very, very sharp sense of inquisitiveness. Like, I just wanted to know how this worked. And I had, uh, when I was leaving India, I had already, um, uh, I had a lot of friends who were independent musicians and um, artists themselves. So I think in many ways, I had already found myself being increasingly immersed in, uh, you know, the the independent creative scene in India. So I don't know, Mm. they'd all just, if I'm being in a river, (laughs) just sort of going with it, really, you know. And all of this in retrospect, I think think at that moment, I'm not sure I had this much clarity. I think at that moment, I would would have been more concerned with, you know, do I have my visa and what are my tickets? Yeah, I know, I, I can intimately relate to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and how, how are the reactions once you were in LA? What, what, like both sides, your own and the people you were received by? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a bit interesting. Um, overall, to be very honest, I mean, I was part of um, a rather international, um, you know, I, I say that in quotes, but uh, rather international, very mm-hmm. um, uh, it was an international LLM program. So there were a lot of people from different parts of the world who were pursuing a master's, um, you know, there. So that way, I think in terms of my immediate social circle, which would have been my university, um, I actually felt very, very at ease. Um, I was very much uh, very comfortable with them. They always made an effort, especially I think the the university um, faculty and the administration, lovely people. As I said, you know, I mean, I think that I had a wonderful time there. Outside university, to be very honest, um, I have a very limited, um, I'd say very limited understanding of um, how things work because my my reality was incredibly student-oriented, which meant that I lived on a very tight budget. Um, Mm -hmm. I went there with another, um, I, I was rooming with another friend of mine uh, who was also attending the same program and ironically was also a good friend of mine and a senior of mine from, um, you know, my law school here in India. We just had no idea that we were both going together until one day we we both realized that we had both applied and you know, we had both it gotten admitted. So it was... Ah, that's cool. Yeah, it, 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 it really worked out. She was... Um, she's absolutely lovely and she was an incredibly impactful influence on me at that point and she made things fun which was also very very important but honestly I think it was very obvious to the both of us maybe more so for me I I should speak for myself here but it's very obvious the the economic differences of um, of living there and as a result um, the kind of things that I could do you know Mm -hmm. so yeah so I think that that was definitely one part of the equation. The other part of the equation is that I definitely did have some, it's funny because I think at the time I didn't pay too much attention to them, but the more the years have gone by, I've noticed. But there were some very interesting um, responses from uh, folks who worked in the entertainment industry, um, you know, particularly studios and the like, when they were told that, uh, you know, we were from India 
and they had a very different, um, some were, very, very few were incredibly open and encouraging and curious. Um, mm. But many of them were, very, they were very quick to associate coming from India with their immediate problem, which seemed to be piracy. <laughs> so they were very, yeah, they, they made some really quick, quick connections. They said things Stereotyping. like... Stereotyping. Yeah, there was a lot. Yeah. And like I said, at the time, it hurt. But I think it was also a coping mechanism where it was just, oh, okay, maybe maybe that's not what they meant. But <laughs> but now now we know better. Yeah, so, that's, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a very... Uh, I'm very intimately familiar with that mm-hmm. feeling. It's interesting. I mean, I've always had roots in Europe, but in spite of that, I'd come, I'd moved back to Europe after 13 years of living in India. So, um, um, and I did move to a country where I kind of did have to learn the language from scratch, even though it wasn't completely foreign to me because part of my family is German. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting. It's only now in hindsight, after 20 years of having lived here, that I realized how much racism I'd faced in the first five. And mm-hmm. um, mm. um, I guess some of that lands in the subconscious. I mean, it's hard not to talk about racism right now. I mean, yeah, just for, for listeners who will be listening later on, this is about, what, three weeks after Black Lives Matter happened? Mm-hmm. Three, I think four? So. Yeah. 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 So uh, it's 27th June. Um uh, so it's hard not to talk about it at this stage, which mm. um, as uncomfortable and painful as it is, is still, uh, it's a healing pain that really needs to happen for the entire planet, I feel, because mm-hmm. it's the kind of thing that happen on so, happens on so many levels. There's no way it can be addressed and healed, dealt with without addressing each and every one of those layers. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, um, I'm sorry you had to go through that. I'm hoping none of us will in the near future, although that probably does sound a little idealistic when I listen back to myself saying it. I mean, I think I think that's the... But, but I understand that. I mean, I feel like a part of me also believes that. And that's, um, you know, I mean, that's what I was sort of trying to... Uh, what I wanted to say actually a little bit earlier was that just before we hopped onto this, um, the conversation that I was actually having with a friend of mine and mm. um, just literally talking, about um i mean it's a very heavy uh, it's a very heavy time of transition um i think we're all feeling it but i think the really crazy thing you know again to put it in really simple terms is we can't unsee it anymore you know yeah, exactly. once it's become once yeah and that's honestly that's been a struggle i mean the, i feel like every day there's something uh new to unsee mm. <laughs> so it's been uh it's it's very. I agree with you that it is something that the entire. Um, it has to be something that we all address, and it will. We can't heal unless you acknowledge it. Unless we acknowledge it. So, yep. but I, I don't. Yeah, but I again. We also know that healing isn't linear. So you know, I guess. Oh, I mean that very well put. <laughs> very good. Healing yeah. is not linear. I'm gonna have to remember that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's it's powerful, yeah. I feel like I, I I'm trying to recollect where I got that from as well. Did I see that somewhere in passing? I don't know, but it's it stayed with me. So yeah. Mm. Um, you said you always knew you wanted to return to India. Mm-hmm. May I ask why? 
I think it's a mix of things. Again, you know, on a very um, at a very immediate level, I would say my family, although they never really insisted um, um, on me being with them as such. Um, but I think I, I did want to come back for them. Um, and I don't know what it is again. I mean, I um, so when I was incred- like when I was very, very young, between the ages of maybe two and six, um, I uh, lived in New York with my family. Uh, my dad was posted there, so we spent a very short stint, very short stint. But I'd still like to think that it, it did have a big impact on me because I think I, I might have spent some formative years there. So I think that it's um, left a couple of impressions. But I think once we came back to India, ever since then, it's always been a question of going, stepping out and then coming back. And I think a large part of it is because I feel like there's a lot to do here, not just from the point of view of changing things, but there's also a lot to absorb. You know, I I think that there's a lot that merits learning. There's a lot of culture. There's a lot of history. There's a lot of, um, and not even the culture and the history that we've been exposed to, you know, even forget the mainstream, but even, you know, there's there's so many things that still are undiscovered. So I think at some level, um, I want to say that maybe, maybe I'm struggling with this to be very honest, but I want to say that maybe it's home. Um, But I I say that I'm struggling because I don't know for sure anymore. (laughs) Hmm. But uh, yeah, because I, I, again, you know, it's, uh, it's just unpacking what it actually means to be home. Is it is it about the culture? Is it about where you get to be yourself? And what does that mean? But but yeah, I think honestly, it, it, it was a lot of that. So it was a combination of honestly wanting to be back here with my family and then, of course, economic factors and and just an overriding urge to see what can be done here, you know, because there was so much happening also, especially when I came back um, in 2012, 2013. I remember, you know, I mean, I um, I was staying, so I shuttled between Bangalore and Hyderabad. Um, and uh, even then I was doing a lot of shuttling. But I remember I uh, had I had just started noticing that the, that the electronic music scene in Bangalore was sort of you know, coming out of uh, coming out of the neighborhoods that even I was living in, and it was all very, it was very beautiful. <laughs> Just literally being able to watch people, um, you know, develop a sense of musicality, a sense of communication, and mm-hmm. to see that it was just happening at a very local level. It, it, you know, I just I didn't want to be far away from it. So I think I think it was all of this that kind of pulled me back. Mm-hmm. Very well put. I, I feel like I know which era you're referring to. I was actually mm-hmm. talking to our common friend May Miriam a couple of weeks of back. Of and we actually referred to that era. Well, I did anyways. You know mm-hmm. what, what was termed as the renaissance of the Indian independent uh, movement, uh, independent music movement. Lovely. What, what, to, like, um, like from my perspective, it would have been around from 2007 to about 2000. 15, 16, yeah. the peak of the peak uh, of it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I agree. And then, and then things changed in a very distinct way. I could, in a, a change uh, that I felt very distinctly at a mm-hmm. at a level I can't even really describe cerebrally per se because I'm still mm-hmm. processing part of it. But mm-hmm. 2009 to 2016, I was actually touring more in India than I was in Europe. Mm. And yeah, yeah, 
Uh, I was very much in the thick of it, thick of that whole development yes, I, of the. I I feel like I'm now. I wonder, but I feel like I might have definitely. Uh, I might have watched you perform. <laughs> I yeah, I was be... one of the first artists to perform at uh, a place called Counterculture, which is in Bangalore. Yes, uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. We did a double bill with um, Ah Bangalore's more a uh, Salt Station, right? That's correct. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I think it yes. might have even been their debut concert, and um, yeah. So a lot of it was part of it was the the blueprint of the entire infrastructure making some mm. fundamental changes. That's the way it came across to me, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and also my partner in crime, um, Jiraj Singh, uh, mm. Mm. and uh, kind of. Uh, went on to an entirely different direction with uh, Parikh and Singh and um, mm. yeah and me and my commitments here in Europe but um, yeah I, I point being sorry I went <laughs> off on a, no no uh, no I, this is nice a, actually to be honest this is actually very very nice because I do agree with you I, I like I, I like what you said that it was a it was a period of of renaissance. I think a lot of us were soaking that in. There was a there was a lot of curiosity. It was very raw. I felt at some level, um, mm. or maybe that's just that was just my experience of it. I I remember being incredibly wide eyed and curious at that point. You know, like yeah. incredibly wide eyed. It's like every day it was like wow what's this and wow listen to that and oh wow is that a task cam recorder how does that work <laughs> <laughs> yeah i remember feeling at home in india for the first time in my life mm, wow wow mm. wow that must uh, that mm, that's that must have been an interesting feeling i mean an interesting memory like yeah. Very much so, very much so. And uh, I was also at the time um, uh, working with the Goethe Institute as an artist, like uh, mm-hmm. Exine and Border Movement. So we did a couple of tours. So if it was a very, uh, it, w- it felt like the beginning of a very healing experience where in my two worlds that have always felt very torn in my life were starting to come together. Mm. Wow, wow. Um, that must have been very powerful. Um. It had the potential of being powerful, but it was cut short, unfortunately. Mm. So um, it, it, it's, it's a process that, which didn't complete. Mm. Uh, it happened uh, very fast. Um, yeah, um, it's, maybe, it'll, maybe it's still a work in progress. Maybe it'll find its conclusion. If that, you know, again, to get back to what you were saying, these processes are oftentimes not really linear. No, no. But... Mm. Um, it, uh, I'm still waiting for that story to end, to be honest. It definitely mm-hmm. was cut short at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were, we were talking about your journey and you were referring to the uh, your decision to move uh, back to India and mm-hmm. always being pretty convinced of how that was what you wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I heard a couple of things thrown in there which I found very interesting though. Um, mm-hmm. I heard... Uh, questioning of your decision um, mm. is that something we can touch upon I'd be very interested absolutely absolutely um, uh, so hmm I I mean I suppose I guess um, that would really come up because I, I said that uh, I always considered um, 
India, really, to be home. Uh, I think I still do. But um, at the same time, it's a very challenging environment to be in. Um, And maybe that's also interwoven with the kind of work that I do, um, Mm -hmm. which isn't necessarily the most um, conventional. uh, It's it's definitely not the most conventional thing to be doing. And yeah, uh, yeah, so (laughs) so that's definitely there. Um, But yeah, I feel like it's, you know, at the end of the day, I still think that, that I would still... I would still, you know, call, um, not even, I mean, I'd even be more specific. I'd actually go ahead and call Hyderabad, which is where I'm speaking to you from, um, which is where I'm quarantining with my family. Um, Mm. But um, I would still go ahead and actually say that I would even consider Hyderabad home. But again, you know, whether I'm going to spend all my time home, uh, whether this, whether home's really going to be the place that I grow now that's the thing that I'm trying to figure out because um, it the home is is beautiful as sanctuary to be honest, but mm-hmm. um, it can be quite challenging to 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 put yourself out there sometimes and and do things and especially when it comes to I think um, you know like I said when it comes to talking about work it hasn't it isn't the smoothest um, landscape. <laughs> Uh, which I'm sure you know. <laughs> I think it's an understatement. <laughs> that's, at this point. that's the understatement of the week. <laughs> so I think that that definitely that definitely contributes to that. It's very difficult. Um, I remember back when I started. So I started artistic license formally in 2013. I came back in in I think 2012. And and um, as I said, I don't really come. I mean, I I didn't really know that I was going to start something or maybe the better way to put it is that I always knew but I I didn't quite say it out loud so I actually ended up working with a research and policy think tank based out of Bangalore and we were doing some interesting work but um, I I think at the at, at the end of the day I always wanted I was looking for a place where I could work with artists and help um help them and be helped by them because I always thought that it was a two-way street. I I genuinely felt and I still feel like a lot of us on, um, especially in the legal fraternity when, we're to, when we are representing artists and creative people, I think that we need to do a lot of learning because if we don't fi- figure out why an artist is motivated to do something, why they're motivated to create something and put something out there. I really don't think that we are in a position to be able to adequately represent or even, you know, I mean, it's rather presumptuous to think that we can actually go ahead and protect their interests when we don't understand. So wow, I love me, that. I'd, I'd like to take that opportunity to thank <laughs> you on behalf of pretty much the entire artistic community, oh, no. if I may. Oh, it's, please. I mean... Uh, thank you, honestly. Like I, I, I don't mean it. Um, I don't mean it lightly at all. I really do think that it's very apparent. That, yeah, no, <laughs> and it's it's necessary. I think that's the reason why we have so many gaps, you know, because we don't know. And and this was what I. This has been it. This has been the essence of everything that I've been doing, and probably everything that I will do. Um, and I was looking for a place that did this, and I didn't find one. So I think one day in March 2013, I woke up and 
I kind of remember this. I actually just woke up and I just sort of made like a weird grunting noise. And I don't know why I even said it out loud. I just said, yeah, okay, I'll just do this myself. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I think that's that's kind of where it started. And it, it, that's the reason why, um, I mean, that's where it really began. And actually, Artistic License was really, it started off as a blog that was meant to just provide information to people. Really? And, yeah, that that's how it all began. Like a, a sweet little WordPress a WordPress blog. <laughs> the wow, freest of free blogs. <laughs> I really like the sound of that. So take us through how that grew into what it is today. Mm. So um, you know, I as I said, once I sort of made this decision, um, I and uh, again the decision um, and everything that I guess I try to do even to this day is that I I genuinely believe that. Um, we need to make information as accessible as we can. And of course, I'm, I'm very well aware now of the fact that my definitions of accessibility also have to change um, because I'm beginning to understand what that means at different levels. But at that time, I remember it was a very, um, it was the most obvious one to me, which was that if I have difficulty sourcing information or if I have difficulty understanding things about, say, the copyright, uh, you know, a copyright law or even how contracts work, then I remember thinking to myself, how is anybody who's actually meant to be working in this space, how are they going to understand this? Where would they look up stuff? And Beautiful. it started from there, you know. I mean, it, so I think my first ever blog post was What is a Copyright? <laughs> and it all started from there. And things kind of have, uh, you know, I've actually, I'm, I, I've actually never really planned too far ahead. Um, I've, um, again, I, I don't know. I've just, it's sort of organically grown into what it is. Um, I, I, somebody asked me if, I draw up a contract for them a month later and I suppose I mean I should have seen it coming organically it did become a consultancy and and it's been seven years since uh, I started so things didn't um, happen overnight at all mm. but um, but yeah it, it's gone one step at a time yeah and of course I've stumbled <laughs> but it's been good yeah how were the stumbles how did they feel mm. Um, in the beginning, they were very discouraging, to be very honest. Um, again, I feel like I can be quite a stubborn person. Um, You're a lawyer. Well, if that's true, but I'm also a lawyer who doesn't enjoy um, arguing. So, <laughs> so it's a bit it's a bit interesting there. I mean, I don't. Um, uh, <laughs> so sorry about. That. Anyway, um, where were we? Mm, lawyer? Well, I do remember saying that I'm a lawyer who doesn't like to argue much. You referring to how stubborn you can be and mm. me retorting with this somewhat um, questionable statement <laughs> of, uh, you're a lawyer, aren't you? So, yeah. uh, well, that's true. I mean, I, I am. I am. Um, but um, I do think that, the, I don't actually think the two of them are related <laughs> At least in, in with respect to me, I don't think so. Um, I don't necessarily exhibit 
Well, actually, that's just my opinion. I feel like I don't necessarily exhibit a lot of uh, conventional loyalty characteristics. But again, you know, I've been told otherwise. So the challenges of artistic license, the stumbles. Yes. The stumbles. There we go. And yeah. you were asking me how I felt about them. Yes. Thank you so much. Right. No, thank you. Um, so, yes. So uh, I did mention that the that the stumbles were quite challenging. Um, I did also mention that I'm stubborn. And the reason I mentioned that I'm stubborn is because I maybe it's stubborn. And now maybe the now that I think about it, maybe maybe a different word, um, a better word would probably be resilient, uh, because I did manage to sort of pick myself up after these stumbles. But it was very difficult in the beginning, especially back in 2013, 2014. It was difficult to be a lawyer who was working with independent artists. And the problems, honestly, weren't just between, um, you know, maybe the people that I'd be facing if I was representing an independent artist, the problems actually started with the, with the, with the independent community themselves, you know, um, Interesting. Yeah, not a lot of artists understood what I was trying to do. Um, mm. I didn't think it was so complicated, but apparently it was because they had never heard of something. And um, it's it's very funny now because today, um, you know, the independent music scene, and of course you have to, I mean, if you should tell me if you if you see this as well, but I feel like um, the, the music scene as such is so much more um, uh, sophisticated business-wise compared to what it was back then. You know, I mean, uh, I, I definitely feel like I, I see a change, but I don't know if that's just me again. Um, may I ask you if you were referring to that on a global scale or in specific reference to India or uh, both? Uh, I think I think uh, to begin with, with India, actually, because I think def actually, yeah, both, if that's OK, <laughs> both would be great. Well, I'd be interested in, in what you mean by that, actually, because um, I, I feel like you're the better qualified person to elaborate on that. Hmm. Okay. Well, I think by that, what I mean is, for example, um, back in, like, one of the challenges that I faced, as I said, was very, very simply put, it was very difficult for people to understand what I was trying to do. And then the bigger challenge was being taken seriously for it. Um, because mm. a lot of artists at that time didn't see um, the value or the significance of, um, you know, even something like a copyright, which I find is um, very, very different when I speak to um, younger artists, um, or actually artists of all ages, I suppose now, where you know everyone's clear that, for example, if there's if there are two artists who want to collaborate on something, they understand that it's important to have a contract in place. You know, I mean, it's not just oh, but this person's coming in and playing sessions, and then they'll go. I mean, there is they understand, and why do they understand? Because it creates accountability, and then it goes back into you know. Um, royalty collections and percentages and, and none of these things exist I mean nobody spoke about this stuff back when um, when I at least started or maybe maybe I don't know I assumed that maybe it was also what was happening in the independent scene as such because clearly Bollywood and the film industries you know the other regional film industries had been around for quite some time so yeah that's that's really the the 
I suppose what I mean by sophistication, <laughs> but I but I put sophistication in quotes for this as well. So lots of air quotes during this conversation. To um, revert back to your question, if if I see it the same way, mm-hmm. um, it's that's probably a question I'm trying to or, or an answer really. I've been trying to figure out for a while. Partly because the two, for lack of a better term, worlds are kind of work within us so polarizingly different. Mm-hmm. Germany is one of the most conservative uh, digital countries in the world, even today. I mean, you got to realize, um, you know, after the lockdown, the building I used to work in, I have a teaching gig here for the mm-hmm. music, for the city council. And the building I worked in was Wi-Fi free before the lockdown. And um, because they didn't want internet in there, it couldn't be that conservative. Oh wow! Okay. Wow. Um, oh. uh, and you know, the I'm I, for example, I had to uh, like my rights organization. I'm I signed with BMI instead of mm-hmm. Gamer, which is in Germany. German, Mostly because yeah, yeah, um, yeah you, you must be knowing it because it was at a point where I would have to pay. For my for the broadcasting of my own music, it's that conservative. In general. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas I was dealing with that here, and the other polar opposite of uh, playing music with no idea whatsoever uh, if it was being monetized in, in mm-hmm. any way mm-hmm. in, in in India. Mm-hmm. Um, so. It's actually very much a work in progress, which is why I find this conversation so interesting and this sheds a lot of light in it. But what I do notice, though, and, and I'm completely with you on this, that the very basic realization that um, artists and creative professionals such as you, which mm-hmm. I find the term creative professional the best, most fitting term for someone like mm-hmm. you, really need to put their heads together and work on this together. That mm-hmm. I feel, I and mean, you've obviously done your part in, in this case in realizing that. But I do notice how a lot of musicians just don't seem to wrap their head around that very inherent fact. Mm, mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still, it's, it's a mix of resistance combined with lack of awareness um, mm-hmm. and also just some very questionable idea of freedom, yes. artistic freedom. Yeah. That's true. Uh, That's true. Which, which um, contrary to what they realize, it's, it's not freedom. It's just zero awareness of how to make a sustainable living out of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I I agree with that, actually. I mean, I, I think that's very well put. Um, and I really like the last thing that you mentioned, which honestly boils down to to freedom, because I think that that's, that's something that um, I think... Um, freelancing and especially the creative um, sector, the creative industries, the creative community, we all, whether we're artists or creators or, you know, creative professionals, like you mentioned, whatever sort of our um, identity, I think that we're all at some level a part of this romanticization of, um, of what freedom and approachability looks like. Um, and we feel like it it's in its ideal form in the creative sector. But I don't think that we are 
um, I don't think we uh, we understand that there is a difference between freedom and then there is a difference between being irresponsible and yeah. uh, not being held accountable for stuff. And I think that that's that's just been you know that's the reason why we can't um, we can't set up structures that actually um, you know that actually have transparency at its core because. It's funny because that's exactly what we say that we want, but we don't always act on that. And I agree with you. I think that um, I think that it's. I think there's definitely. I, I mean, I I feel like one recurring theme as um, a lawyer working with artists. One recurring question that I sort of have to deal with is um, there is a lot of um, fear and hesitation and resistance like you like you rightly said when it comes to approaching um, any kind of institutional structure and um, or anybody who might you know be similar to that and then all in all for some reason people are very scared to talk to lawyers so it doesn't yeah. make things easy yeah mm. and and you know the legal community is known to be a community that's also quite um, um, expensive you know, I mean, it's it's really not to say that le legal services are expensive. This is something um, more of a generalization, but, you know, it's not an incorrect generalization. A lot of legal services are quite expensive. So, you know. So would you say most musicians um, kind of resist consulting with someone like you in fear of losing money? might be you know i again you know i think this is so it's interesting that we're talking about this um i do actually believe that it's a mix of two reasons i think it's a mix of um you know a uh losing money or really not really losing money but more along the lines of being too expensive and um not being worth the money and the reason why i think that happens is because, um, you know, potentially an artist might feel like I won't get it. I won't understand what they're doing, you know, so I won't be able to, to, ah. yeah. So, so you see, it's a related issue, you know, so I don't mistrust. Think, yes. Perfect. Yes. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the reason I said that, I think that that's interesting is because, um, uh, so, I actually started um, a small experiment slash project in 2018, and I call it Coffee for Contracts. And oh, I remember. Yes, exactly, yes. And um, it, um, I do plan on um, going ahead with it uh, in July 2020 as well. Um, and it's been an interesting experiment for me because essentially I wanted to see what would happen if I took away the economic portion um, of the equation just to see whether that, uh, how that sort of impacts, uh, you know, and like the perception that an artist or a creator or a creative professional might have uh, of legal services, you know, whether that is an impact. So basically is the only big reason why you don't want to consult a lawyer because you're afraid that um, there's, you know, that they're too expensive. And it's interesting. I'm so sorry about this. Mistrust was the last thing we were talking about. Mistrust and... So I basically started this experiment slash project in 2018 called Coffee for Contracts. 
And um, with Coffee for Contracts, the idea really has been um, to sort of try and uncover what happens if I were to take out the the economic barrier, and you know, if if that somehow seems to make artists a lot more comfortable, maybe not a lot more, but do they just feel like a bit more comfortable speaking to a lawyer about their, you know, about their um, concerns? And it's been an interesting, um, it's been an interesting project. I've, I mean, it's very, very young in the sense that I only started it in 2018 and it only works for a month. Uh, so July 2018, July 2019, and I will be doing this July 2020 as well. Um, and the logic is very simple. The idea is that um, I'm open to a creative uh, professional or an artist reaching out to me with um uh, you know, a legal query or concern. And all I want in exchange is a cup of coffee uh, that we can have whenever we, we meet next. That know? is very yeah. generous of you. <laughs> and, any, I, and I need to say this, if any artist out there who's listening to this and doesn't take you up on that offer. That's very kind. That's very, very kind of no, you. No, not at all. I'm just being honest. I mean, and it, it is, you know, it's, it's, the reason why I did this also is because it goes back to what I was saying earlier that it has to be a two-way street, you know. I mean, the reason why I insist on coffee and meeting up for coffee, ideally, I mean, we'll have to we'll have to do a we'll have to do a, a social distancing version for 2020. Mm. But um, I think that the the reason why it's important is that. It, it also offers me and the other person an opportunity to get to know each other's professions a bit more deeply. You know, I mean, it, it is important. For, honestly, it's important for me to just look beyond just um, my own practice. Um, I really do want to understand why a lot of creators and why the creative uh, community um, finds it difficult to communicate with the legal community as such and vice versa. I think it's equally important because if we don't start talking to each other, we're not going to be able to see policy level changes. And that's the thing. You know, I mean, we can we can talk to each other as much as we want in our living rooms and after gigs and before gigs and, you know, but if we don't take these discussions in to institutionalized and structural systems then we won't be able to actually see any impact then then and then how can we expect any change you know so so true. yeah so true yeah. if there were three um, fundamental points of advice you would like to offer to any artist what would they be oh um i put you on the spot uh, there anna but <laughs> my no, apologies no, but I'll, I'll do my best. I'll try to do my best. Um, I in, think in in light of what you just said, by the way, in light of the necessity for both parties, or like the, I don't even want to say both parties. That implies division, and I don't see a division here. I think at the end mm -hmm. of the day, both of us are creative professionals. Mm -hmm. um, but from that specialized point of view, how, uh, let me rephrase that. What can I as an artist bring to the table to contribute to the betterment of the entire situation in a way that makes your job easier? That's a lovely question. <laughs> Thank you so much for asking me that. Um, it begins with, with honesty. I think it's incredibly important um, to be very, very clear and honest about why you'd like to pursue a, a particular kind of action, whether that's something like protecting your work, 
um, drawing up a contract, entering into a negotiation, or maybe even wanting to pursue an action against, uh, you know, someone else. The why needs to be incredibly clear because your why informs my why. Mm-hmm. You know, otherwise it's just it's going to be very disconnected, and you're going to be you as an artist is going you're going to be incredibly dissatisfied, and I'm going to be incredibly frustrated. So it. It honestly starts with that. Like there really needs to be dialogue. There really shouldn't be any um, any holding back when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. Um, it does affect our perception. You know, it's uh, it, it would make a difference, for instance, for me to know whether your um, you know whether a monetary compensation is more important than you know a credit attribution, or whether it's the other way around. You know. Yeah, uh, that makes so much sense. Yeah, because otherwise I'm just going to waste your time, you know, which just makes matters worse. So I think that um, honest communication is is definitely the first the the first thing. Um, the second thing I'd really say would be to do a certain amount of um, a certain amount of homework. So when I say homework, I don't necessarily mean that um, I, I I think that all artists should. Um, you know, sort of starts taking up law books, and you know. Although I have to say at this point that some of the some of the the artists that I work with are just, I mean, I I really want. I feel like they should just go to law school because they're incredibly brilliant at picking <laughs> this up. Yeah, I feel like uh, if I could afford them, I would uh, hire them <laughs> you know, just to sort of back me up in things. Because, but I think that's what it that's what it goes down to because if you're if you feel so strongly about something that you've done at the end of the day you have to also do a certain amount of homework around it so you know if that means just finding out um the context finding don't sort of uh, you you shouldn't have to place the entire onus of figuring something out on the person that you're hiring because at the end of the day this is your work and this is your career mm. you know I feel like that that amount of um, responsibility is something that you as an artist need to take so that it helps you take an informed decision. So good. You know, um, and I guess the third thing, honestly, I mean, is uh, it, it, it's just a blanket rule that I just like to tell everybody, which is that you should get things in writing. <laughs> Always mm. get things in writing. It's, it's, the, it's unfortunately the number one, um, problem that plagues us in the creative field because we really tend to walk into projects with a lo- with a spirit of camaraderie and then trust. So I think it really it, it I'm probably never going to tire of saying get things in writing because it, it really makes a huge huge difference. Oh, I so, so agree with you. I so agree with you. Yeah. So to round it up, and I'm doing this, um, you know, so you correct me in just in case I didn't get it right on point number one would be honesty and transparency mm-hmm. and i'd even go as far as to say clarity because you did mention but um, absolutely right then number two would be to do my own homework uh so basically mm-hmm. um a certain degree of independence and commitment to the project and not mm-hmm. not not coming with expectations of being babysitted Absolutely, yes. And number three would be the getting everything in writing part. That makes a lot of sense. If I may share a couple of stories which proves your rules, um, mm-hmm. it's eligibility immediately. So the first part you referred to um, regarding 
clarity and honesty. I mean, I've been in a very awkward situation where I was part of a, a very high commitment project with an extremely well-established, very well-known, legendary musician mm-hmm. where um, I was part of the production team. I don't want to get too much into details because I don't want to hurt anyone's mm-hmm. feelings. Uh, mm-hmm, but from mm-hmm. a purely professional point of view, the deal was, okay, I'm not charging for my services. Uh, services which mm-hmm. included a minimum of about 60 hours of work and having taken four flights to be there for the mm-hmm. project. And uh, wow. and um, my and due to the history we have, uh, and because I want to be part of this on a more exchange kind of a basis, my payment mm-hmm. will be explicit crediting and also explicit mentions in all of the press releases as a collaboration as a collaborator mm. and the two mistakes i made was number one this was a time this was a musician of a different generation who genuinely was not familiar of with the idea of accredited accreditation actually being a formal method of payment mm. so he, ne- he never actually wrapped his head around that and mm. of course there was him being the legendary figure he was there were articles in rolling stone there were articles in vice and i think and i should probably not quote names and like really well established prestigious press releases where i could have really done with that tradition and i wasn't mentioned mm. and in addition to that um mm-hmm. we never had that in writing so, uh, and um, mm. and number two, my homework was also really poor because I just kind of assumed that this entire right. thing, I just kind of assumed that, okay, we are on the same page and we are referring to the same thing. I obviously got credited on the album liner notes, um, right. which... Um, um, which, of, of course, I'm great. It's, it's, so it was a very strange uh, situation where... <laughs> sorry. Isn't like ultimately it, it, it sort of it's I mean it's something that it, it is an awkward moment right I mean I imagine yeah. it must have been awkward for you it was terrible we eventually yeah. fell out uh, eventually oh, fell out which is yeah um, uh, I doubt if we'll get over it I don't know if I'll get over it because it was a, a pattern which kept which tended to repeat itself in in mm. multiple manifestations and like various various manifestations of basically the same pattern so i felt like at some point i was just not getting my point across and mm-hmm. um yeah and since we had a history uh it just it was a it, this is a prime example of how i basically lost a really precious friend just because right. and a very precious musical and artistic collaborator just because basic professional etiquette was not maintained so, right. so for any of my artist friends listening out there, listen to this lady and take that advice seriously. <laughs> I, I speak from experience when I tell you it's not just about gains. It's, a, it's also about, it's not really a neutral zone. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But the costs are very heavy. Yeah. Exactly. Like the cost of losing a, someone like a meaningful collaborator and a musical colleague is actually a lot higher uh, then, uh, then I don't know some some payment or something. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <clears throat> Especially in the arts, where so much of it is a gray zone. It's um, yeah. So thank mm. you. Mm. <laughs>
I, I can yeah. only imagine some of the BS you've had to put up with. I can only imagine. I'm making assumptions here. Um, in, so in a very twisted way, I, I just got, you know, made a bias statement here myself, <laughs> which is the you know, irony of it all. But may I request you to share some of your experiences regarding the same? Mm-hmm. It is a very interesting question to be addressing, even more so at a time like this, when we're all being called on and called out on biases and that we might have um, knowingly or inadvertently, you know, encouraged or, you know, been privy to it. It is a very, very bumpy landscape. Um, and maybe it's meant to be that way. But uh, but I guess in terms of in terms of biases, I think there have been the the you know, there have been a, a range of um, interesting uh, responses and reactions. I You're think, very uh, generous when you use the word interesting. <laughs> <laughs> interesting is yes. I mean, uh, it's I yes. I, I raised an eyebrow when I said that, and I and I thought to myself, that is that is an interesting word that you used, Evan. <laughs> so, huh. so right. Um, let me put it this way. You know, the, it's never been so obvious, and that's the insidious thing about it. No, it's never so obvious that you can pinpoint it, and then exactly. you can sort of isolate it and say that, oh, oh, shoot, is that what this was? Mm. You know, you, you never, you never sort of realize right then and there. So, of course, um, you know, of course, gender does step into the equation. Um, I don't. How think bad that, is it? Uh, for me personally. Not too bad, to be very honest. Um, but it's been it it has been uh, challenging. At some point, my uh, my partner at the time was um, a musician, and in the beginning, for a long time, it was, oh, are you doing this because you're his girlfriend? You know, which was a very awkward. <laughs> it was a very very awkward thing to be uh, told. What, what does that even mean? Yeah, I no, know, I, I'm literally. I don't. I have no idea what what that means. Uh, well, literally, I've had conversation, and it's very, it's very odd. I think when I, I've just surprised myself by even mentioning this here because I don't think I've actually ever publicly mentioned this before. Well, this is the place I, to do it. This is apparently the place to do it. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Go for it. <laughs> but, but yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's been, I mean, I've definitely had awkward conversations. To be fair, I mean, uh, my partner at the time did not, um, uh, you know, was very supportive of, of how I felt uh, and, you know, also saw the the, the sheer weirdness in, in statements like this. But I have heard, um, you know, I've had people sort of say things like, oh, so, I mean, it's because so-and-so is, uh, you know, you're so-and-so's girlfriend and you know this person's also a musician so is this the reason why you decided to be uh, you know a music lawyer which is a very odd thing to say to somebody who's um time and time again Jesus. uh yeah so that's and you know this is exactly what i'm saying this is back when i don't know if this was okay back then i mean i don't think it's okay at any point in time but again all of this in retrospect you know at the time i was annoyed yes but i didn't I mean, I would say something, but I don't know. How does one respond? <laughs> it's such an awkward, odd thing to hear, really, you know? It, it's so, the kind of statement that requires so much processing before you realize exactly how fucked up its implications are. 
much. Yes, yes, pretty much that. Yeah. And it really does uh, make you question a lot of things. It makes you it, it made me question a lot of things, most certainly. So I think that's that's been, you know, that's but to be fair again, you know, I mean, I've I I know that I know that gender time and time again, time and again, it begins when you start thinking of things in binaries. And I mean, I don't even know where to start. I mean, I feel like somebody who's a lot more um, educated than me when it comes to articulating things of this, you know, issues of this nature, they would do a much better job because I feel like I would just mess it up by saying something um without being fully aware but but of course gender biases exist and of course I've heard things like this I think another interesting um bias which honestly I hear I I'm I'm always a bit surprised I don't know if it's a bias again it, it you'll have maybe maybe this is a conversation we can have later but maybe you can help me unpack it but another very interesting one is um uh, where I uh, where I come from, so I I work out of the south. So I work out of Hyderabad and Bangalore, mm-hmm. which means that I'm not based out of Bombay or Delhi. And people are incredibly surprised whenever I say that I'm from Hyderabad or Bangalore, and I do this for oh yeah, you know. So it, it, I, I remember somebody actually brought this up once. She actually said, uh, "Oh, but Hyderabad, why?" I just looked at her and said, have you ever been to the city? Like, do you know anything about the place? Do you, also, why are you asking me this? this? is not even relevant, but okay. So I feel like these are, again, my experiences. And I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know if I've inadvertently, you know, perpetuated some of these things myself now. You know, I'm not going to be... Um, mm, no, honestly, like that last sentence, I'd be very careful. That sounds like you've been gaslighted lots could be i don't know uh, are you familiar with the term gaslighting i i am but i think you should if you don't mind just sort of explaining it for listeners gaslighting is the phenomenon where someone makes you feel like there's something wrong with you uh, when you're being vulnerable yep uh, it could be a racial thing very common when people feel like they just undergone some um, passive form of racism and try to reach out to someone and try to express the way they feel about it and are made to feel like this, they're, that they're the ones who did something silly instead. It, mm-hmm. could be, uh, it could be a gender thing, which I don't feel qualified to comment on as a man. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, generally, um, just the phenomena of making someone feel silly for being vulnerable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, it's, uh, it's insidious. It's just, it just, it, it's it runs so deep um, that um, it it I feel like it's the kind of thing that I'm really happy that more of us are, are at least aware of what the term means now and and don't you feel that it happens on so many levels like both professional and otherwise very much so very mm. much so I mean um, I have to be honest I. I work in a very privileged work environment in a very diverse city in Europe where all things considered, I have no illusions of this being a perfect environment. I've called called it out on numerous occasions, more recently even in writing in the press. Um, But uh, it's probably still one of the more equal uh, societies currently I've I've been in, all Mm -hmm. things considered. 
Point being, I, I am very privileged. I'm male. I may be colored, but I'm still male. And I work in a very... Um, in a society that takes a lot of conscious steps to instill a certain degree of equality in its infrastructures. So the reason I say that is I'm in deep respect for people like you who've taken on the challenge of working in the very challenging environment you do work in in spite of the constant biases you deal with. And I'm not just saying that because it's a hit thing to say of late. Uh, it's I'm in genuine awe of people like you. I don't... I I find myself asking uh, if I would ever have the muscle deal with that kind of environment. So, mm-hmm. so hats off. See, <laughs> I mean, I, I I really I really I really do appreciate. Um, I appreciate it. I really genuinely do. Um, but at the same time, and I feel like this sort of goes back to uh, what I was also mentioning at the very beginning of our conversation, that I do think it's a heavy time of transition. I think that there is a lot of learning that we all have to do. Yes. And, uh, and you know, I mean, it's uh, it's very important to learn right now. It's very, very important to, to actually learn, to actually absorb, um, you know, and as you said, uh, you know, not just because it seems like the hip thing to say or to do but you know it's it's and it's it's so layered these uh these these systemic issues (laughs) it's just it's so layered it's yeah so for people who are working in similar environments to yours and similar when i say environment i'm not just referring to geographical locations per se but also the branch you work in or the kind of um, challenges you deal with um what would you say is is the best muscle they could work on to improve things Mm, i think um I think it's important for us to be, uh, for all of us, you know, I think that we need to be equal parts um, developing. So I have this, I have this, um, I, I always journal about it and I think I write about it or talk about it a lot, but I genuinely believe that there is this collective reservoir of, of resilience that we've developed as, um, you know, as a community as communities so i feel like it i feel like it exists now where and i i don't know but i Beautiful. feel like it's there. and i feel like we have to constantly normalize tapping into it and taking you know just drawing from there like a well you know you have to draw from it you know so i feel like resilience is incredibly important especially at a time like this i think at every time because the truth of the matter is that things are changing but Things are always going to keep changing. So, and the idea is that they always change for the better. So that means that we're always going to have to call out some things that make us uncomfortable. And and also this ties into, I guess, the next thing, which which even I'm unpacking, which is how accountability works. You know, to what extent am I accountable? To what extent am I complicit? To what extent are you accountable? Um, you know, understanding accountability and being brave enough to be honest about your experiences you know we have to speak up i guess you know and um, sometimes it's easy not sometimes i'd say a lot of the times it's easier said than done but um i'm learning i I have a lot of um 
really wonderful friends who've been very brave in their own ways, um, some very publicly, some not so publicly, but the point is that they've um, they've shown me what that kind of courage can look like. And, I, and I've seen it have an impact. I've seen it change. So I think that that's what we need more of. We need resilience and honesty, accountability and courage. So just, just four things, just four tiny things. <laughs> beautiful. That beautiful. Your words resonate with a certain, certain very characteristic kind of authenticity which speaks of the lessons being learned from direct experience. I'm not. Thank I'm. I'm not sure that came out right. Uh, point no, being, no. No, thank you, thank you. I mean, I'm just picking things up as I go. I guess <laughs> you're picking things up, but you know, I mean, words are easy to use, and this, uh, you touched upon this about how words can be superfluous on their own. You know, the the actual meaning of a word is the, the channel it's being used through. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, at the end, they're just vessels, and it's really a question of who's using them in what context and with what level of integrity and the way these just came through right now they really touched me so i want to say thank you oh, thank you i'm 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 really happy to know that um i'm i'm just happy to hear that thank you mm-hmm. um i want to respect your time we've been talking for a while but i really wouldn't want to let you go before touching upon another topic which is uh, kind of intrinsically related to what we just referred to anyway, which is mental health. Uh, I remember you referring to this too in some of your social media content. Is there anything you'd like to share with our audience with this regard? Especially especially as in, in, in the context of working with, art, with artists. I have to say at this point that that a lot of your um, a lot of your messages on social media, I really, really appreciate the again there's almost a raw quality of honesty that you have when you address these things almost um, and almost completely unapologetically which I think is very important because I think when it comes to to mental health and when it comes to well-being I think that um, and I've been guilty of this as well just to a large extent because I I like to call myself a recovering workaholic Um, Mm. The reason I say that, even though that sounds so hipster at this point, the reason I, I say that is because um, I think that I have also been, um, you know, I've played into a lot of conditioning. Over the years, we've romanticized the stereotype of the struggling artist and, you know, like all the, all you know, I mean, things like, you know, our sweetest songs are those that sing the saddest thought and, you know, I mean, so true. and it's, it. we haven't accepted how much damage that does, you know, it's almost like saying, oh, so you're happy? Okay, but happy music isn't cool. It isn't, you know. It's yeah. funny. I, I, the reason I'm laughing is um, one of the homework, one of the most difficult assignments I got from my therapist was mm-hmm. to write a happy love song. And oh. <laughs> I, I still, it is, the, it is the most challenging song for me to sing because it's like, and almost like an entire adult lifetime of uh, cognitive dissonance, if that makes any sense. Just the act of writing a happy love song was probably one of the most challenging things I've ever done. And to sing it is still is, continues to be. 
I interrupted yeah. you. Sorry, I, I couldn't help but no, add no, that no. to the story. I, I think this is wonderful and this is exactly the point, you know. I mean, I think at some level we are um, conditioned to, I mean, of course, we're always conditioned to think that happiness and success and, you know, beauty, these these are things that, you know, have to fit into neat little boxes. I mean, I, there's no doubt that we've all been conditioned to to sort of fall into that trap. So well put. And um, I feel like when we look at this in the in the creative landscape, it's I mean, it's no different. You know, I mean, you have to have that aura that um, I don't know. It's like it's a it's it's sort of having this specific kind of vibe. So it, it's either, you know, like I said, it's romanticizing the struggling artist or now I think it's the hustle culture, which is just. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, and this is what I meant, you know, I've, I've I played into it too, you know, I've done, you know, the whole, you know, hashtag girl boss thing as well. And mm. and now I just, I, I just, uh, yeah, I take a very deep breath. I mean, what even is that? Like, what kind, what are we actually perpetuating? You know, what are we trying to encourage? And so when it comes to a lot of um, the, the, the things that I sort of put out on um, Instagram, especially when, well, because I think that's where the most amount of engagement happens on, on, you know, in, in terms of social media with artistic license, I don't particularly plan them. They're really, <laughs> they really do come straight from my head. Um, and it is very, very much in line with what I'm feeling or what I am sort of processing after watching or hearing or reading and educating myself. So I think that we place too much importance on things that are not going to help us create sustainable creative careers or a sustainable creative economy and that obviously leaves us tired and exhausted and burnt out and I've I've definitely had uh, moments of burnout that's that's for sure I, I must confess that I've I've toyed with the idea of speaking to a therapist I haven't yet for no reason it's just it's just not something that I think maybe maybe now I mean again the, this seems to be the this seems to be the conversation when I'm bringing up a lot of things that I don't bring up anywhere else so well done TL yes my honor burnout is something that I've definitely um, endured uh, I would even say more than once and it's and I have a very very dear friend who's had a very similar experience and um, you know I mean I remember the both of us just just talking about it helped normalize it for both of us, you know. And um, that's the thing. We need to we need to sort of speak about that. For example, even with, I mean, the ongoing pandemic, I remember the first week of the pandemic, people were going bananas saying things like, I'm going to learn this language and then I'm going to put out this EP and I'm going to finish up, you know, this cooking project that I wanted. What, I mean, ugh. and again, I think at some level I might have, inadvertently gotten onto that bandwagon as well because I was like okay I'm going to make sure that I'm going to put out as much content as I can that's helpful to people right now but mm. the truth is that if we don't take care of ourselves that shows up in the work that we do you know and um, again it so. that we do not create sustainable economies we don't create sustainable practices I'm very surprised you don't have a therapist, and I mean that as a compliment. It's that which goes to show how much the, at least I, I'd like to hope, the perception mm -hmm. of the same has changed. Because the language you use is so articulate and so clear at times. It uh, definitely sounds like the language of a person who's 
done a lot of work, which is usually associated, well, I usually associate with people who have uh, an ongoing therapeutic practice. Very kind of you. Wow. <laughs> my, my beginning with therapy started pretty late and um, I resisted it for the longest time uh, mm -hmm. until life kind of threw shit at me, which just wasn't um, uh, shit I could handle on my own. Um, <laughs> and uh, three years later, I'm, I'm a qualified therapist myself. Oh, wow. Which is ironic, yeah. I don't have a practice per se. It's tertiary knowledge I try and use uh, in my teaching skills. Not to go on, on too much of a tangential, but I compare it to having it a personal trainer. Mm, yes. I feel not having like a, a life coach of some sort, mm -hmm. regardless of the terminology we use for it. Mm -hmm. Anybody who thinks having a therapist uh, is something to be embarrassed about in this day and age, anyone who judges that is the first who needs to go see a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is that is very shrewd. I am a show. Um, and uh, I've, I've, I've always seen it as a support system, really. I mean, exactly. um, yes. it's, uh, exactly. it's really about optimization. You know, how deep do you want to get into your practice? Of course, I mean, Absolutely. you can be a very clear, very articulate, extremely intelligent and independent person without a therapist, as is so apparent from someone like you. Hi, um, Chris. <laughs> um, but um, no, I'm just being honest. But, uh, you know, it just um, goes to show... Um, that I don't know where it goes to show. I think I've lost my thread now. <laughs> well, I mean, if 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 you don't mind me picking up from there, please um, do. I think I think I like what you said about support. You know, and I think that's the other thing. You know, um, I think that um, a lot changed for me personally when um, I had this. I had a series of. Um, experiences almost one after the other and uh, uh, and I feel like um, the the big learning that I had at that moment and I mean that in a very very real way so not just in an intellectual sense but in an actual um, in, in a manner that made complete sense um, and hence led me to accepting it was the fact that we don't have to do we're not in it on our own we're, we're not in it we're in it together and we can ask for help because i think as much as i was the person who said oh sure i asked for help i didn't i would never ask people for help because it was such a it was such an egoistic thing and even even and it is who we are you know i think it's part of it it's still a struggle for us to admit when to admit that we don't know something to admit that we're wrong so true. um to admit that we need help but I think that um I think that that's what it is you know I think that even as a community of creative people um you know I I literally I feel like I say this a lot but I mean what the heck I feel like I say it a lot because I really believe in it I I always say um, that we're independent not isolated when it comes to the independent um creative scene um and I think that that's what it is. And I think I've learned to, to sort of take that to heart as well. So 
you know, I have to remind myself, I think we all have to remind ourselves because it's it's okay to ask for help. It's good to ask for help when you need help because how else will you know? And and maybe it's a therapist, maybe it's a, you know, maybe it's mentorship of a different kind. I think this is why mentorship is so important also, you know. So true. You, you need somebody sometimes to just, um, you know, um, just help you out somebody that you go and ask a question and even peer mentorship i'm very big on peer mentorship i have i don't even think they know that i call them my peer mentors but i do have a few people that that i sort of i know that i can trust for them to be honest with me with advice with suggestions with feedback and i know that it's okay for me to trust them and their opinions as well so yeah, but but again, you know, I I feel like I can go on and on about this. Um, you've got me at a time when I'm really I'm really now beginning to see a lot of value in in unpacking these things for myself because I can see that it translates into even my work. It makes me a more effective person. It's all connected. It is. It really, really is. <laughs> the, the division we are often conditioned to believe that exists between work and life and whatever else. Yes. It's a myth. An illusion. So, in my experience, the shift in perception is when you realize that reaching out is a sign of strength and not weakness. Absolutely, absolutely. That's been a game changer for me. I love what you said about independent and not isolated. I'm so happy it resonates with you. I don't even remember when it popped into my head, but it's always there. It's always sort of like, yeah, it's like the subtext to everything for me. I think. <laughs> Amazing. This podcast says 90 minutes. That was uh, That's always been in consideration of certain te technical glitches that might happen and so on. The podcast was actually supposed to be for 60 minutes, but every single interview I've done till now, we've all been doing a minimum of 90 now. So. Uh, wow. But uh, yeah, I, I see that as a good omen. I mean, it's... Absolutely. Uh, no, these are the conversations that I think we need to be having. And, and I'm honestly, um, TL, I think the beautiful that you're um that you're having these conversations thank know, you i agree are you enjoying them oh yeah the, very much so the, i mean the feelings mutual in this case but and also generally it's been a fantastic way to uh one to connect to reconnect with a lot of people um mm -hmm. i realized at some point that i had i have such an amazing group of very diverse and very very um uh Wow, someone's honking really loud. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is, is that in your side of the world or mine? I think it's actually yours. Yeah, Jesus, wow. <laughs> wow, people. <laughs> yeah, that, that happens like once a year in Germany. I think someone might, might have gotten married or something. Oh. Um, might be a wedding, probably an Italian wedding. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... Um, Right, I was saying, I realized that, you know, I have this really amazing, diverse and very, like, badass group of friends. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it seems challenging to keep in touch with them at times because of the distance. But, mm -hmm. sorry, I'm a little distracted with all the honking there that put the me, honking, really threw yeah. me off. Um, of <laughs> it, it, no. I wouldn't be thrown off at all if this was Kolkata or something, because, you know, that's like... I know. I know. I have to say, even I was a bit surprised. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm speaking from a closed room, and I, I instinctively looked around, you know, yeah. to see if there was any traffic. And then yeah. like I said, this isn't from my side of the world. <laughs> crazy, crazy. Well, thank mm -hmm. you, Manoj. It's been, it's been a pleasure and an honor. And, oh, thank you um, so much. Yeah. 
the, the pleasure's on mine. It's been wonderful, yes. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad you feel that way. And hopefully we'll do this again at some point. Of course. And uh, maybe over coffee and hey, what the heck, since we're on the optimistic side here, maybe even in person sometimes. Soon. I hope so. I definitely hope so. And I look forward to it. <laughs> likewise, likewise. Gratitude from the bottom of my heart for listening to the very end. Please consider taking a minute to subscribe to our show so you know when the next episode is out. This is a labor of love, one I hope snowballs into one that's sustainable in its attempt to support independent thought and authentic relating. And having you as a regular member of our audience is what makes that a realistic prospect. Much love and talk soon. Just another voice out in.